brief testimony. So stand if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. Beginning at verse 14, we read, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord in the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the cup of the Lord in the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. You may be seated. Good morning, dear friends. It's good to see you. Good morning. My name is Judy Childs, for those of you who don't know me. And today, Pastor David is speaking on the life-giving principles of partaking in the Lord's Supper. He asked me to briefly share with you just what this transformational experience has meant to me. Pastor David shared about partaking in daily communion a couple of years ago. For me, this journey has been over two years now, and I began this sweet time of fellowshipping with the Lord, remembering his indescribable sacrifice, love and promises through his poured out love offering. The Lord began to reveal to me the extraordinary gifts of his love. And for me, uh, this has been taking place in a deeper way day to day. In my daily fellowship with the Lord, he reveals to me his extraordinary love his forgiveness, his blessings, his power, and the ways he des desires to use me for his glory. Holy Spirit has freed me from a more ritualistic mindset that was so ingrained in my understanding of communion. He revealed his truth about remembering and receiving his sacrificial love and authentic fellowship together. For me, this daily blessing of remembering him has been transformational in my life and has been an anchor of hope for me, particularly in these unprecedented days. In Benny Johnson's book, The Power of Communion, she says when we take communion, we experience the invitation to remember the weighty reality of his absolute and perfect love for us. This is something I personally experience over and over again. I love to partake, partake in daily communion as a love offering to my Lord. It is a way to honor him, to remember his great sacrifice for me, to reverence and worship him, and to be reconciled unto him, receiving all of his benefits. This time together is a spiritual breath for me. And I need this time with Holy Spirit as much as I need the air I breathe. 
When I asked the Lord during our time together, Lord, what does this communion mean for us today? He will reveal to me who or what I need to pray for and will also lovingly convict me of areas I need to repent of, which, by the way, I now do quickly, humbly, and with thanksgiving. He will bring to my spirit what I need to know and what I need to release. As I seek his best for my life in him, he washes me afresh every day. I have grown to new depths in my relationship with my papa as my father, as my friend, and as my comforter and my protector as I seek him first in the secret place of his love. Sometimes our time together is quick, sometimes it's longer, but it's always so sweet. He honors our time together when I come to him with a heart of love, repentance, and expectancy. He has answered prayers for healing. He has given me songs from him to him. And by the way, I am not a singer, so this is of Holy Spirit, but I love worshiping him this way. It's beautiful. He has given me more of his gifts, all to be used for his glory in me and through me. The precious blood of Jesus paid for everything. When we truly understand and experience this incredible revelation, we then understand our freedom and authority in Christ as his beloved sons and daughters to be used for kingdom purpose. I encourage you to choose to come to his table regularly, whatever that looks like between the two of you. Come to him with an attitude of expectancy and be ready to receive all the benefits of his love forgiveness, and abundant blessings as a result. Amen. Thank you, Judy. Amen. All right. Children that wish to go to Children's Church, you're dismissed out that door right there. And the rest of you, I want your Bibles open, 1 Corinthians 10. I want your notes out. This is going to be more of a teaching than a preaching today. So you're going to need to have your uh, theological hats on and... Uh, the topic that I want to address today is the Lord's Supper, communion. Uh, we're going to begin the book of 2 Peter next Sunday, but I haven't preached and taught on communion in a long time and felt that it was time to, to address this. And there, there, there's, there's not many doctrines, there may not be any other doctrine more controversial than the Lord's Supper. It has caused divisions within denominations. It has caused churches to take a variety of stances, even some churches that observe closed communion, that if you're not a part of that denomination, you can't partake of communion in those churches. There are all kinds of issues that have divided and caused a lot of debate and discussion literally for 2,000 years in the, in the history of the church. And so today what I want to do is I want to answer three questions. And then we'll have some time for Q&A as well. I want to talk about what are the three views, the three prominent views of the Lord's Supper, how you take, how you interpret, what do you, what, how you view the bread and the juice. And then, who should partake? Should, should it be limited to, to only certain people to partake? And then, most importantly, how should we partake? So let's talk about the three views. The first view is what is called transubstantiation. This is a view held by the Roman Catholic Church, the uh, Orthodox Church, many in the Anglican Church believe that, the, that when the bread and the juice is, is blessed by the priest, that it literally transforms into the body and blood of Jesus. So when you partake, you are literally taking the body of Christ. When you drink, you're literally of swallowing the blood of Jesus, that it transforms, that it changes its form uh, when, when it's blessed by a priest. So this view takes very literally these scriptures. Matthew 26, when Jesus said, take and eat, this is my body. Jesus said it. He said, this is my body. So we believe that's literally the case. John chapter 6, it's so important that Jesus said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you have no part of me. So some would even say that, that this is a means of salvation, that, that you partake of, of communion as a means to be saved. The Catholic Church, for example, uh, some Catholic churches literally uh, talk about re-sacrificing Jesus, that in the Mass, Jesus is re-sacrificed for you. 
Is that, what, is that the view we should take? Then in, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four again, it just repeats that Jesus said, this is my body. So it's a very literalistic interpretation of these verses. Is that how we are to interpret these verses? So it really boils down to an issue of what is called hermeneutics. That's the, the art of biblical interpretation. Are all scriptures to be interpreted in the same manner? No. Some verses are, are meant to be like parables. Parables are stories. You don't interpret a parable in the exact same way you interpret the book of Ephesians. Some things are, are figures of speech. There's hyperbole used in the Bible. David said in the Psalms, I soak my couch in tears. Did he mean that literally he cried so much that his couch was dripping with tears? No, that's not even human possible. It's a hyperbole. It's, a, it's an exaggeration to make a point. So my view regarding this is that Jesus also said things like, I am the door. He didn't mean that he's a literal physical door. He didn't mean that he's a literal uh, piece of wood. He meant that it's, it's a figure of speech, to, that he's a means by which we enter into something, i.e. salvation. So there's ways of viewing and interpreting verses. So that's the, that's the view of transubstantiation. He literally meant it, and it changes into the body and blood of Jesus when it's blessed by a priest. The second view comes out of Martin Luther during the Reformation. So what Martin Luther... Martin Luther was a monk in the 1500s. He was a Catholic monk, and, and he saw the Lord's Supper being misused. He saw many people treating it as this magical ritual that, you know, if you go every day and get this juice and bread that's been blessed by the priest. Man, that just is your instant entrance into the kingdom. And, and he saw people, literally, they were selling indulgences. And, and there was just a lot of corruption in the 1500s. And, and Luther wanted to bring reform within the Catholic Church. He never intended to leave the Catholic Church and form a, a new movement, but they kicked him out and, and, and he formed the, what is now the Protestant Reformation. There were three primary doctrines of the Protestant Reformation. Justification by faith versus works. Because at that time, the church was saying, you're saved by works, you got to do good works, it's not the final sacrifice of Jesus, but it's, it's, it's Jesus plus your good works. And Luther said, no, we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And then the second major doctrine that he was challenging was the priesthood of all believers. He says, you don't need a, a human priest, a Catholic priest, to be this mediator between you and God. You can come directly to God by the blood of Jesus. So he restored the, the truth of the, of the priesthood of all believers. And then thirdly was the primary sufficiency of Scripture over and against church tradition. That Scripture comes first. And if the church says something that's against Scripture, we believe Scripture. And so Luther, in response to transubstantiation and this belief that it becomes so kind of corrupt and, and ritualistic, he said what the real meaning of communion is what's called consubstantiation. Consubstantiation, con means with. And so what he said was that the presence of Christ, listen, is in, with, and under the elements. But the elements in and of themselves are not the body and blood of Christ. And they asked him, well, what do you mean by in, with, and under? And he says it's a mystery. There are many mysteries in, the, in, in, in these things that we can't fully explain. And the illustration that he used was of a sponge. And this sponge, the water would represent the bread and the juice. The sponge, I'm sorry, the, the sponge represents the bread and the juice. And the water represents the presence of Christ. He says the sponge is not equal to the water. The sponge does not become the water when it's blessed by a priest, but rather the presence of Christ is in, with, and under the sponge. You see? And so they are distinct. This is not his literal body. It's not his literal blood. But the presence of Christ in a mysterious, wonderful way is in, with, and under the elements, particularly when partaken with a submissive, humble, surrendered heart. Amen? All right. The third view is that it's merely symbolic. That it's just a symbol. There's nothing special in this. And um, you kind of can easily just partake it, and it's not that big a deal. We, we, and here's the verse that would support the symbolic view, is that we just do it in remembrance of. Okay? It's like a memorial. Uh, now, let me go back to consubstantiation, because there's one passage in consubstantiation that I think is important for you to, to note, and I, and I skipped over it. 
1 Corinthians 10, verse 16 and 17 says, Is it not a participation? Did you note that when I read that? So we are participating in some way in the body and blood of Christ in communion. And that word participation literally is the Greek word koinonia. It's the word used for fellowship. And so if Steve and I are enjoying fellowship, I'm not Steve, Steve's not me, I don't become him. No matter how much time we spend together, I'm not going to become Steve, you see, and, I'm not, and he's not going to become me. But listen, to the degree that we share our hearts, that we focus on Jesus, that we are transparent and we really get to the heart, then that koinonia kind of goes to a new level. And, and, and I think that's, that's a powerful truth in 1 Corinthians 10 that points to the bread and the juice being more than just a symbol, in my view. That we participate, we koinonia in a special way. So the third view, again, is symbolic. And it's important that even to be fair to the symbolic view, there are degrees in which people that take this view believe that there is a sense in which there's a spiritual presence of Christ. So it's not the in, with, and under. That kind of is a new level, but, it, but it's symbolic. But to the degree that your heart is focused on Jesus, to the degree that you're doing it in the proper way, there can be a real sense in which you experience the spiritual presence of God as you partake. So Calvin was reacting to Luther. So Luther reacted to the misuses of transubstantiation. Calvin kind of was reacting to Luther. Calvin was just right after Luther in the, in, during the Reformation. And his view, and this is in his Calvin's Institutes, he said, by the showing of the symbol, the thing is also shown, the thing being Jesus. For why would the Lord put in your hand the symbol of his body except to assure you of a true participation in it? So now, it sounds like he's very close to consubstantiation, which I think he was, but he wasn't quite willing to go that far. So the symbolic view is the view that most Baptist and non-denominational churches, much like Living Hope, typically take. So, so, so many of you may ask, Pastor David, what, what do you personally hold to? I believe in consubstantiation. And if I did go the symbolic, it would be right on the edge of consubstantiation. But I believe that there, because of that verse in 1 Corinthians and that word participation, I, I just cannot hold to the view that it's merely a symbol. There does seem to be a unique sense in which partaking of communion, especially when done with the right heart, and we'll get to that, is there's a sense in which God's presence is there in a powerful way. Now, let me share one other angle on this that might kind of even give you a, a little different twist on it. Look in your Bibles at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Remember he says there that if you partake in an unworthy manner, you're guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's pretty serious, isn't it? That says this is to be taken very seriously. And, and then he goes on to say that uh, some among you have, have done it in an unworthy manner. And by the way, the church at Corinth, they were getting drunk on communion wine. They were a, a bunch of gluttons who were filling up themselves with food because they would often have a meal together before they would have worship and communion. And many people were coming just for the food. They were chowing down. It was like this big you know, spiritual or, or church buffet. And they were get, getting sin, sin of gluttony. They were getting drunk on communion wine. And believe it or not, that is what was happening here. And that's why earlier he talks about many of you, it's almost like participating in demons. In the same way that a person could, could, go to, could go to a, a festival celebrating demonic worship, and if you participate in that worship, you might acquire a demonic spirit. In the same way, this is to be a participation in the Holy Spirit. And so he says in, in chapter 11, verse 29, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. You know, you think about the judgment of God coming on people just in the Old Testament. Well, remember Ananias and Sapphira? They withheld some of their offering, lied about it. They were stricken dead. Here you've got people at the church of Corinth that were becoming sick and dying because they were misusing the Lord's Supper. That's serious. And so I call this antithesis hermeneutics. That if, if, if there could be a negative effect on people by misusing the Lord's Supper... Could there not be a positive effect on people from doing it the right way? And in the book, The Power of Communion, that Judy referred to, there are some amazing testimonies in here of people who've experienced physical healing 
through partaking of communion with a right heart. So I believe, again, just be, in the same way that there could be a negative effect by misusing the Lord's Supper, I believe there could be a positive benefit that occurs in our lives by partaking in the way that we're going to talk about now. Folks, I believe there's power. I believe there's spiritual nourishment. I believe there is a sense in which Christ's presence is in, with, and under the elements in a way that maybe few of us have not quite tapped into yet. And this is one reason why. And I started this in my devotions during COVID, during the quarantine. But basically, during the quarantine, I read this book. I began to look more carefully at some of these passages and I began to personally take communion almost every morning. And so I have this cool little cup that John Costa, where are you, John, made for me. Where are you, brother? And, and I have this container that I put some bread in. And I have another little plastic container that I keep in my refrigerator that has grape juice. And almost every morning, I will pour a little of that juice in here. And I'll take out a, a piece of bread. And I, in my time with God will partake of communion. And it has been very meaningful, much like Judy said. And Ann Clements has been doing the same. And I want to read to you an email I got from Ann Clements this week. She says, Since I began taking communion on a daily basis about one and a half years ago, the blessings of doing so have increased. I began in my quiet time in the morning with prayer and then communion, thanking Him for His sacrifice asking forgiveness for anything standing between us and thanking Him for the hope of living eternally with Him because of His crucifixion and resurrection. Holding the bread. I acknowledge that He said, Take and eat, this is my body. I visualize. See, I love this. She's picturing. She's going deeper in worship. I visualize and say out loud, Jesus, I take you in. Your peace, your love, your mercy and grace, your power and authority over the sicknesses and disease your power to heal and deliver. See what she's doing there? She's tapping into the meaning of the gospel, the meaning of the cross, the power of His sacrifice for us. And she's literally, as she, as she eats the bread, she's realizing that, that that is internally mine. You See how powerful that is? Then I eat the bread. I then hold up the fruit of the vine, acknowledging Him, saying, this is my blood of the new covenant. Take and drink. I thank Him that the blood continually washes away my sin, paying my debt, reconciling me to God, and opens heaven's gates. Then I drink the juice. It has become sweet communion with Him every day. It sets the tone for each day and enables me to take the high road and praise Him in the midst of difficulty. That's powerful, you guys. That's powerful. Amen. Thank you, Ann. So, who can partake? Well, only born-again believers who do so properly. This is only for people who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and who do it in the proper manner, so let's go right to that. Because in 1 Corinthians 11, let me remind you, it says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That's serious, right? So we don't want to partake in an unworthy manner what does it mean to partake in a worthy manner? Four things. Number one, examining yourself. He says that right here. Therefore, let a man examine himself. What's that mean? It means that we take time for the Lord to show us anything that stands between us and Him. We pray a prayer like Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And when He does, what's the beautiful promise we can claim? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so we take a time and we reflect and we say, see, that's why it's so powerful to do this every day. Because it's important every day in our lives, whether we do it through communion or not, but communion is a great way to do this, is to say, God, I want to be radically right with you. I don't want anything to block my relationship with you. It's just like a person who longs to have the best marriage possible. Would they not want to be open? I do. I want to be open. If I've done anything that's hurt my wife, if I've done anything that would stand between me and her, if I've hurt her, if I need to ask forgiveness, if there's something I need to be more sensitive to, God, please show me because I want the best marriage possible. I want the best relationship with God possible. And so you just, it's a great time to go before the Lord and say, God, see anything in my life that I need to surrender to you? But listen, it's not just 
this part of our relationship with God. It's also this part. You say, what do you mean? Matthew 5. Jesus said, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that there's a relationship with another that's not right, what do you do first? You go and make that right. Then you come back. Matthew 5. So this is a time for examining self. Not only is there anything that stands between me and the Lord, but is there a relationship with another person that I need to make right? So on both of those fronts, this is powerful stuff because it facilitates the fresh cleansing and renewal in God. The second thing in terms of how to do this is recognizing the gospel. He says right here in verse 26, you proclaim the Lord's death until He returns. Verse 26. So you're doing this in a way that recognizes the gospel. You're focusing on the gospel. And by the way, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, 29, when it says, if you do it without recognizing the body and blood of Christ, that word recognize in the Greek means to make a distinction. It literally means to judge. It means to cut something separate from something else. So that this is unique, in other words. You're recognizing, you're discerning, you're making a distinction. This is not just like bread you slice to make a sandwich. <laughs> this is not just grape juice that you drink to stay healthy because it's good for you. No, you're making a distinction that in this act, this is unique. Because you are recognizing what it is showing it's showing the body of Jesus. His body that was flogged, beaten, sacrificed for you and me. You're recognizing that His blood is the only means by which we can be forgiven. It's the only vaccine that will take care of the virus of sin. It's the only 100,000% guaranteed vaccine that takes care of all sin. And you're recognizing that by His stripes, there's healing. And by the way, He died not just for healing spiritually, but Isaiah 53 and Matthew 8 confirms it, that He died also for physical healing. There is physical healing in the atonement. Isaiah 53 and Matthew 8 clearly proves that theologically. And so you're, you're drinking this, you're, you're ingesting it. Symbolic, showing that, that this part symbolic, that, that you're literally, that you've received Jesus, that he internally lives within you. You just meditate on, and, and this goes right to number three, that, that you're also worshiping, reverently worshiping. Two and three go right together. So every time you partake, it's a great opportunity to, to think about all the aspects of the gospel and what they mean. And this is one thing that I do each day is I ask God, Every day, show me, a, a new, show me one area of the gospel that I, that I need to focus on afresh today. You know what he showed me yesterday? He showed me yesterday that he really brought my attention to the body of Christ being universal. That we're a part of the universal body of Christ. And it made me think about believers in, in Afghanistan right now. That very likely in the next week or two, many believers in Afghanistan are going to have somebody come up to them and say, you deny Jesus or you die and they'll be beheaded. That is literally happening and will be happening unless the grace of God intervenes in the next week or two. So man, it made me just go there in my mind. I'm thinking about these believers and you know, even as, as I partake today, Lord, I'm, I'm mindful that, that I'm a part of the body of Christ which is universal. And so I began to pray for those believers in Afghanistan that they stand strong and that Taliban and ISIS and others will be convicted by God and have visions of dreams of Jesus and get converted. Even if it takes the martyrdom of a believer to convert them, so be it that we would be willing to die for our faith. And that through our allegiance to Jesus and being willing to die for our faith, that those who kill us would come to faith in Christ. I don't know about you, I'm willing. I'm willing to die for Jesus. For any cause, but especially if it would bring another person to Christ, because I already have eternal life. They don't. And they're going to go to hell if they don't receive Jesus and repent of their sins. Eternity separated from God. And so it's just like, what an opportunity this provides us each and every day if we partake. And I encourage you, here's your homework. <laughs> your homework. Whether you, don't, don't spend a ton of time figuring out your view of this. I mean, do spend some time on it. But, but it's more important that none of us are going to get it perfect. We'll find out one day in heaven who is right on this. All I know is I want to I I do this in the way God wants us to. 
And, and, and I, your homework is to, to begin to do this on a daily basis. I really encourage you. Yeah, I really encourage you to start making this a part of your daily time with God. Just get something that it takes, whatever, your little cup, your little juice, whatever it takes. I don't think the type of bread, I don't think the type of juice, whether it's real wine or grape juice, I, I personally don't think that matters. You do what's meaningful for you. But, but as you do this, what a great opportunity to just start every day. You, you, you reflect on a new aspect of the beauty of the gospel. The love of God. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. God, thank you for your love demonstrated through your sacrifice. God, I thank you that you were willing to be beaten, flogged, whipped 39 times with a cat of nine tail for me. God, I thank you that on that cross you demonstrated amazing forgiveness. You said forgive them for they know not what they do. God, give me that kind of heart to forgive those who hurt me. God, thank you that you give me your righteousness. That, 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 that God made him who knew no sin to be sent on my behalf that I might become the righteousness of God in him. Thank you, God, that you've given me a new nature. Thank you that you've given me a new family. Thank you that you've given me eternal life. Thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit. Thank you that the blood of Jesus gives, gives, gives nourishment. God, as I, as I take this physical bread and juice today, let it be spiritual life to my soul, nourishment to my spirit, transform me to another degree of glory, God. You see how this can become so worshipful? Because you're focusing on what it shows, the gospel. And I was thinking too, what are the two sacraments of the church, Steve? Historically, there's never been a debate about the two sacraments of the church, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Now, there's been a lot of debate about what those two mean. <laughs> We've seen the different views of this, and we certainly know there's different views of that, the baptismal. Some do infant baptism. Some believe in baptismal regeneration. Some believe that baptism should be after you say, before you. I mean, there's all, but, but there's never been a debate that those are the two sacraments. Sacrament means a means of grace. How is it a means of grace? Again, a lot of dispute. But it is a means of grace. How is it a means of grace? Because both point to the gospel. We've already seen how this points to the gospel. And you hear every time we have a baptism here, how does this point to the gospel? Man, when a person goes under the water, death to the old life. Person comes out of the water, they're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Water is two things biblically. It's a sign of judgment and it's a sign of cleansing. Who bore our judgment? Jesus at the cross. Who gives us forgiveness and cleansing? Jesus at the cross. Everything about this. We do it before the body of Christ. So it shows that we're united to the body, that we're not just an individual, but we're in the body of Christ. Everything about this is the, it points to the gospel. Everything about this points to the gospel. That's why these two sacraments are so awesome. And we must practice them regularly. The church must guard these sacraments. The church must administer these sacraments. And the fourth way that we partake in the right manner, and this is overlooked by many, is remembering the future. You say, what's that about? Well, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, it says you as often as you do this. So I think we ought to do it often. <laughs> That's why I'm saying do it every day. As often as you do this. Why would you not want to proclaim the Lord's death every day of your life? So this is a great way to do that. Well, I thought it has to be blessed by a pastor or a priest. No. You, give me a verse that says that. Give me a verse that says, has to be blessed by a priest or a pastor to be legitimate communion. There is no verse. That's a human tradition that is not something we need to hold to. As often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death, and then what's that last little phrase? Until he comes. Uh-huh. Until he comes. Ah, that reminds me of Matthew 26, 29, where Jesus at the Last Supper said, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And so Jesus says, there's another supper coming. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. When all of his people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people will be before him for the marriage supper of the Lamb. We celebrate with Jesus in heaven 
where that place where there'll be no more sin, no more Satan, no more sickness, no more hurricanes, no more Idas, no more abortions, no more floods, no more Taliban, no more ISIS, no more lying bureaucrats, no more injustice, no more racism, no more abuse. We will be with Jesus forever. Hallelujah. So this not only shows us the glory of the gospel and the glory of our relationship with Jesus, it not only shows us the beauty that we are a part of the body of Christ, but it also shows us that there is coming in the future a new kingdom. We'll be part of that if you're saved. You'll be part of that if you're saved. All right, let's take some questions. One question that was asked in first that I think is worth repeating is what about children partaking? Here you go, Jimmy. Great question. Um, at what age can a child partake? And my wife and I struggled with this when our daughter was about six years old. We were absolutely convinced she was saved. And we felt that she understood that this is not just snack time. <laughs> you know, she wasn't coming just to get a little snack. And so we struggled, and we talked to this woman named Dottie Hoover. Remember Dottie, Jimmy, in Wisconsin? She worked for Child Evangelism Fellowship. And she, she basically asked us, do you believe she's saved? Yes, do you believe that she understands it, you know, as best a child can? We said yes, and she said, then why would you not allow her to partake? If you don't allow her to partake, you're treating her like a junior Christian. And there are no junior Christians. Wow, that was convicting to us. So I would say that absolutely allow a child to partake as long as, as a parent, you have to have discernment here. It takes discernment with a lot of things. As long as you feel you know, at peace about their true salvation, they've received Christ in their life, and that you've explained it to them. And you say, well, they don't fully understand. I don't fully understand. I've told you today that this is a mystery. So if you require somebody to fully understand it, then none of us can partake. <laughs> but there does need to be a level in which you are doing it in a worthy manner. And so that's your job as parents is to shepherd that. And so we leave that in your court. We don't, we don't monitor that. We don't, you know, require a, a proof of, of understanding to a level or whatever. So, but, but that's my view of that. Yes. What are your thoughts on, like, the ancient practice of, like, the agape feast um, that some traditions have been doing and the whole idea that when he said, do this in remembrance of me, he meant the entire event of the meal, not just the bread and the wine. So clearly this passage indicated that they were doing a meal because one of the things he's rebuking them for is you're, you need to eat first so you're not coming hungry and you chow down and become a glutton and that kind of ruins the meaning of it. So yeah, that, that does seem to be the, the historical context is that many in the early church did practice... Uh, uh, a coming together for a meal, really joining fellowship in that sense, and then would have worship and partaking of the Lord's Supper. Um, again, those were smaller gatherings, and I'm not trying to excuse because of practicality, but it is a practical issue today. It's a little bit more difficult. That's, this is why I would love to see any of our house gatherings, any of our connect groups, you know, occasionally having the, what they call a love feast, um, where there's a meal and then take communion together and have a time of war. I'd love to see that more and more here. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. Profound, profound question. What's a bureaucrat? Our corrupt politicians. Yeah, so I said in, in heaven there will be no more lying bureaucrats. There will be no more lying politicians. And I'm not going to mention anybody by name. <laughs> <laughs> and they've been around for many years, not just in our current day. Just a quick comment. You mentioned the um, the fact that we are that we proclaim the death, burial, death, death, burial, resurrection till he comes again. It is also a tool of. Uh, warfare because we're declaring yeah. it to Satan and his demons. Also. That's good. That's excellent. So yeah, thank you. That was, it was in my notes, didn't say it, that one of those aspects of the gospel, his love, forgiveness, cleansing, healing, blah, 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 uh, authority of the believer is also right here. 
that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So that would be another aspect of the gospel that you could focus on that day when you're doing this in your private time with the Lord or today is that this is where the victory came over the evil one. This is where we have that authority to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Excellent. Yes, right here. Okay, so I was just curious about the baptism. Can you talk more about the baptism of what you were talking about at the very end? Water baptism? <clears throat> yeah, so baptism is considered the second sacrament. And baptism, in my conviction, and I have a whole pamphlet in the back called Biblical Baptism. First of all, I was raised in a tradition that practiced infant baptism. I was raised Lutheran. So I didn't come to this conclusion just because I was raised this way. I came to it because I read the New Testament and I saw, I looked up every verse on baptism. And it is to be after you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, not before. It is a wonderful picture of the, of the gospel because it shows death to the old life, raised to newness, forgiven by the blood of Jesus. So if you have received Christ and you have not been water baptized, and I believe immersion is the most biblical method. Now, if you physically can't be immersed, then that's fine. You know, if you're can't literally physically have issues there. But as much as possible, immersion baptism, I believe, is the most biblical. So again, for more information on that, I have a pamphlet in the back. Yeah, you're welcome. Great question. There's records in the early church, first two centuries, after Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit came, that... Uh, the early church, many in the early church required a person to be a baptized believer. That, that there's, there's records from Justin Martyr and Clement of Alexandria that talk about those who are baptized believers are welcome to partake of communion. So they actually kind of had that requirement. They felt that if you were not obedient in baptism, you needed to do that before partaking of communion. We don't hold that strict kind of a thing here, but we would say to any person that's not baptized, really, you need to do that. You need to get baptized. I got a second question. I, uh, I recently heard somebody make a comment about how they, weren't really, they didn't really understand the purpose of, um, say, like a couple taking communion together at like a wedding um, because they think that it's supposed to be done like uh, together as the body and... I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Because I know you, you say you take it every day by yourself. Yeah. And so where, do you, where would they maybe be getting that from? Tradition. Okay. Yeah, I think it's putting tradition above Scripture. Again, I think as often as you do this, you proclaim. So why would we not want to proclaim it as often as possible? So I think it's a beautiful thing to have in a, in a wedding ceremony. Um, so, again, I think, I think there's a lot of allowance and, and I, and I res listen, let me say this. I respect, I do want you to hear this, especially if some of you come from a more like a Catholic or a Lutheran background or even, you know, Orthodox. I do have a, I have a great respect for the fact that they take this very seriously. You know, I feel like there, there's, a little, there's a little too restrictive, you know, only if it's blessed by a priest, that kind of thing. I feel like that violates the priesthood of all believers. But I do, I do want to say I respect them or having a high view, and of doing it every time they meet for worship. You know, because historically, there, there is pretty strong evidence that the church did this every time they met. So maybe we don't do it enough. You know, guilty as charged, I, I would say. Um, why do you just do it once a month? Well, it's just, some of that's practical, but maybe that's not a good reason. Uh, maybe we should revisit that. I don't know. But I, I just want to say I, respect, I really respect the church's and I don't want anything today to sound like I'm demeaning or being critical of other denominations. Because I'm the last person to say, oh, the way we do it is, is the only way. Not at all. Again, I'm saying we probably, if we were going to really be consistent with the first century church, we probably should have this every Sunday. David. David. I just wanted to comment to Brooke's question there about doing it couples. You know, Kathy and I did not do it at a wedding. But every time we do it here, when we get together, we serve each other. That's awesome. And to me, because it bore out of when I was a pastor, that just the beauty of this sacrament mm. of it. Because the first time I got to serve communion by intention, which if you don't know, is you hold the cup and the bread and you serve people. Mm -hmm. It was at a gathering where I knew most everybody. 
Mm. So when they came up, Call I, was by hold, name. I was holding the cup. Love and I that. said, the blood shed for you, David. Awesome. The, and it was just, I was so awed by the end of it, I almost could not walk back to my seat. Wow. So this is more than symbolic. Amen. <laughs> this is more than symbolic. Amen, brother. I'm with you there. Good word, yeah. The, the second part of Brooke's question had to deal with whether we do it, if we can do it privately or corporately. And we actually got this question in the first service. Uh, to my knowledge, there is no verse of Scripture that would demand that we do something corporate, that we take the Lord's Only do it corporately, corporately. yes. Right. You know, in, in the same way, baptism, I mean, some people have said, well, shouldn't all, all baptisms be on a Sunday morning when the whole body can observe it? I said, no, and the Ethiopian eunuch is a great example. They were, they were going along in the, in the, you know, and guy gets saved, and there's probably only two or three people there. And he said, look, there's water. What shall prevent me from getting baptized? Boom, they did it. So I say, look, if you do it, just, just take a picture or video so we can celebrate as a body on Sundays. But absolutely, it's, it's, it, you don't have to do it here for it to be New Testament baptism. I know some people have gotten baptized in the fountain and on North Campus, <laughs> on, on campus at UGA. I love that. Uh, we're in a private swimming pool. That's, that's, again, Ethiopian eunuch would support that. Um, with the Jewish tradition of Passover, um, Shabbat meal, they do wine and then bread. Is there a reason that Jesus uh, gives the bread and then the wine first and flips that order? Well, in the, in, you know, this, so why, the, why in, the, in the Passover meal, he did the wine first. And so why, but in this passage, he said, this is my body. Then this is my blood. So he reversed it. I don't know if there's a significance to that. I think it just, it doesn't matter. Order doesn't matter. I don't think. Do you, Shannon? Do you think the order matters? I don't think the order matters. I you know, think, in some churches they'll doing it matters. Some churches they'll dip the bread in the juice and you partake of it together. So again, don't don't get don't get hung up on the mechanics to where you make that the legalistic requirement. I think that's dangerous with anything. Um, it's it's not if if he told us it had to be done a certain way, we would have that. But it, it, there's some of this is descriptive versus prescriptive, okay? It's prescriptive that we do this regularly, but it's descriptive, I think, how you do it. And so don't make something that's just descriptive, prescriptive. Put the focus on the right stuff, the heart, the worship, the gospel, and, and, and not the other stuff that, that then could cloud your really getting to the essence of the spiritual part. Nora? Oh. Uh, what will happen? I'm really concerned. What if people come to church and do not participate? I'm talking about in the ceremony. What will happen to them? If you came and didn't participate, what would happen to you? Well, I would, I would say it's, it's worse if you do participate and you don't do it in the right way. So if, some person, if a person comes and they say, you know what, you may be here today, and you go, I've, I've got some issues in my life that God's convicting me of, and I need to repent, I need to make that right, and maybe by making it right is not just a prayer and receive his forgiveness today, maybe it's going to somebody and asking forgiveness. You know, if, if you yelled and screamed at your spouse this morning coming to church, and you haven't repented of that, you better not partake until you repent of that. I'll say that. You see? So, so there, there can be a place to come and not partake if there's some things that need to be made right with the Lord. Okay. Um, I have a comment directly to that. Um, my father was a pastor. Uh, growing up, we were in church, and so he administered communion, all that kind of stuff. Well, there came a time that he left the church because of various things that happened. And for a time, he personally made the choice he would not receive communion because he had too much conflict in his heart to be able to receive it worthily. And so the rest of the family would go up for communion, and he would not. Mm. So, you know, that's just like you were saying. Mm -hmm. It's needing to have the heart right in order to do it worthily. All right, worship team, why don't you come on up, and we'll take one or two more. Uh, yes. Uh, I don't have a question, uh, just a comment about baptism, which I think... Baptism is awesome. The three things that the Lord showed me right as I got saved, reading the Bible in prison, I got saved. And I was raised Catholic, and I was baptized as a baby. But the Lord clearly told me, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. And there I was in prison.
baptizing myself because mm. I couldn't get no guards to do it for me. Wow. That's one thing. <laughs> and the Lord showed me, you need to be baptized. And I also did get baptized after I got out of prison. The second thing the Lord showed me was that in Jesus said, like you said earlier, uh, do this in memory of me until I come. I will not drink of this mm. cup again until I come with you in the kingdom. Jesus is going to sit down with us that awesome? and drink this cup. Every time I see <laughs> baptism, oh. it's brought to my memory that not only is Jesus going to be there, Adam and Eve is yeah. going to be there, Moses is going to be Amen. there, Elijah is going to be there, Woo! all the prophets and the apostles are going to be yeah. there, and it's going to be one big, humongous, glorious party communion. Amen. Amen. Love it. All right. Well, that's a great way to wrap up the Q&A. Keep the questions coming to my email if you want. But now we need to do this. What a privilege, you guys. We get to come to this sacred meal. This is a feast. You say, what? It's just a little piece of bread and a little bit of juice. I can barely taste it. It's a feast. It's a spiritual feast. And so prepare your heart. Come when you're ready. I would ask that those, any elders that are here, members of our prayer team, if y'all would come first, be available to pray with people, encourage couples to partake together, families to partake together, friends to partake together. It's just going to be a very free time now. Do it the way we've talked about today. Meditate on one or two aspects of the gospel. Do it with a worshipful, surrendered heart. Afterwards, you may want to pray with people. You may want to go to the wall of compassion, write down names of unsaved people that you're praying for. We just want this to be a free and open and worshipful time. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word today. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice for us. Thank you for your body broken, whipped, flogged, beaten, your blood shed. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. But with the shedding of blood, there is complete, total forgiveness, cleansing, new covenant, the indwelling Holy Spirit, victory over Satan, eternal life, acceptance from God, becoming a member of the body of Christ, and all the blessings and benefits of the gospel. God, it is good news. And let us just partake today in a way that is worshipful, reverent, respectful, God, renew us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. There be spiritual renewal, spiritual nourishment, physical healing, demonic deliverance. Lord, let your spirit flow, we pray, with absolute power and freedom in this place today as we partake. You come when you're ready.